This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Check out our Patreon, too, patreon.com slash districtsentinel. This is a tough economy for everyone, including us content creators. So uh, if you haven't lost your job, if you have the means right now, uh, support your local co-op or your not-so-local co-op. Support the co-op here in Pistown. Help the Sams keep the podcast going. Good news. Top of the show. Looks like Benghazi is going away. Charlie Daniels, the uh, musician who devoted his later years to making sure that Benghazi is not going away, has died. So I guess Benghazi goes away, right? That's how that works. I get, and, and I know Charlie was like 83 years old or 88 years old, or he was in his 80s, but the way he agonized over Benghazi in the years leading up to his death is this another victim of Hillary Clinton? Mm. Does That's he count? Is he is Charlie Daniels now a member of the Benghazi Five? <laughs> uh, he very well could be. the The uh, Clinton body count grows, I guess. Um, I'm just thinking about the uh, terminally online Zoomers who are learning for the first time that Charlie Daniels was somebody other than the Benghazi guy. <laughs> what? what In, was, uh, he, I guess his song was uh, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah. Th- that was his yeah. song. Yeah, and that's really the only thing I really... I'm not much of a music guy, uh, as a lot of the listeners know, but uh, I do know that song, and I do know him from that song, but if it weren't for that song, I really wouldn't know anything Charlie Daniels has done. The Primus cover is better, so you can just listen to that. As far as I'm concerned, Primus wrote the song. (laughs) Uh, Other uh, music news, Kanye West claiming that he's running for president. He's got liberals uh, all worked up claiming that he's going to tip the election to Donald Trump. Uh, First off, Kanye's not running for president, everybody. This is something he does uh, every few years as a promotional stunt. He claims he's running for president. He's not actually doing anything that would suggest he's running for president. He's missed all the filing deadlines. He's not assembling a team or anything like that. So uh, stop freaking out. Uh, I would say, though, that Kanye is very much on the same Donald Trump track as far as uh, spending. In Trump's case, it was decades. Uh, In Kanye's case, it's been a few election cycles pretending to run for president, but only to, you know, boost whatever uh, you're working on, whatever your brand is at the time, um, which means Kanye might actually run for president in 2024. So uh, something to keep an eye on. I think Trump, you know, has has sort of changed the game where everybody thinks they can just uh, initially they thought, well, let's run for president to build popularity. Uh, now they think they could actually win this thing. So uh yeah, I wouldn't be worried about Kanye this year, but the dude might actually run in four years. That vein, I've heard a name being thrown around as a 2024 candidate is uh, Tucker Carlson. 
So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how certain takes about Tucker uh, already aging poorly are just going to possibly wither uh, into a mummified piece of bird shit on the uh, sidewalk. <laughs> Can't wait for that. All right, it's Monday, July 6th, 2020. Here's the news. Nervous about our Byzantine dysfunctional political system in a plague election year? Well, after today, we have one less uncertainty heading into November. States will be able to punish electoral college representatives who try to subvert the popular vote from their state. Yes, thanks to our dumbass reverence for the Constitution, we have a system where this can happen. We need an electoral college, and the randos who actually serve on it can cast their vote for whoever they want. It's called being a faithless elector. It's like the representative democracy version of being a sovereign citizen. In related news, in 2016, one faithless elector voted for Ron Paul, but today the Supreme Court said that state laws punishing this behavior are okay. In the ruling, Justice Elena Kagan noted that 15 states have laws sanctioning faithless electors. The case that led to the decision involved three Washington state electoral college members. They refused to back Hillary Clinton because, it appears, not because they supported Trump, but because they suffer from terminal West Wing brain. Per Kagan, quote, the three hoped they could encourage other electors, particularly those from states Donald Trump had carried, to follow their example. Their idea was to deprive him of a majority of electoral votes and throw the election into the House of Representatives. So the three electors voted for Colin Powell for president. <laughs> Though the Though the decision was unanimous, there was a concurring opinion from two justices, Neil Gorsuch and Clarence Thomas. They said they agreed with the outcome, but not the legal rationale behind it. Thomas said, quote, in short, the Constitution does not speak to states' power to require presidential electors to vote for the candidates chosen by the people. Instead, the pair would have grounded their reasoning in the Tenth Amendment, which reserves rights to the states not delegated by the Constitution which, who really cares, it's a dumb document from the 18th century to begin with. Oh, for sure. A real, real dumb document. Um, and maybe their, their dissent here, their semi-dissent here, could have something to do with the fact that by allowing or by confirming that states do have the right to direct their electors to vote a certain way, it could pave the ground for the elimination of the electoral college down the road if enough states pass laws that would bind their electors to vote for the popular vote winner. Yeah, maybe maybe there was a whiff of that, but it was a again it was a concurring opinion. They they didn't have a problem with the outcome. They just said that, well, you're citing article 2 and the states actually or the 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 federal government doesn't actually have this power. But it does delegate power in the Tenth Amendment, which blah 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 blah. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a real uh, lame. Well, actually, point. yeah, it is. But I I don't doubt that uh, in some way Clarence Thomas was probably motivated, uh, and probably Neil Gorsuch too, by uh, uh, by some desire to keep the uh, 
the electoral system as, as complex and inaccessible as possible. Now on to the pandemic. We are nearing 3 million COVID-19 cases in the U.S. with nearly 130,000 dead. And the United States Congress has gone on a two-week recess just as states are beginning to pump the brakes on reopening plans. And for the 15th straight week, the number of people applying for unemployment benefits has topped 1 million. These latest developments have put another coronavirus relief bill on the table. And given what White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows stressed to reporters on Monday, it's actually a good thing that Congress isn't in town to pass anything. Here was Mark Meadows discussing what he sees as absolutely critical in a coronavirus relief bill, liability protections for businesses. The liability protection, I think, is is critical for all businesses when we look at this. Uh, this new coronavirus and how we deal with it uh, is, is something that we're all having to come to, to grips with, but it shouldn't be uh, coming to grips with it just to make trial lawyers rich. Ah, yes, the true villain of our times right now, the trial lawyers. This has been the common refrain since the start of the pandemic. Instead of figuring out ways to keep people away from work by providing direct payments until the infection curve flattens out, lawmakers have been pushing for ways to force people back to work while protecting their bosses. The Labor Department and public health entities haven't even put forward enforceable labor guidelines to keep workers safe during the pandemic, thus giving bosses wide latitude in how much risk they subject their employees to. Fear that employers will be inundated with an avalanche of lawsuits brought by workers alleging they got COVID on the job has so far been unfounded, even as meatpacking plants and Amazon warehouses become vectors for the virus. A report from May found that of the thousands of COVID-related lawsuits filed since the pandemic, only a few dozen were related to personal injury or malpractice suits against businesses. And in those few cases, the majority were against cruise line companies. As was discussed at a congressional hearing on this issue in May, it's very difficult for workers or customers to prove a COVID-19 case against a business, given that it's practically impossible to prove where someone contracted the virus. Still, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said before going on recess that any new COVID bill must include liability protections for businesses, schools, and medical providers, McConnell, like Mark Meadows, claimed that, quote, opportunistic trial lawyers are lurking outside of small businesses ready to pounce. The White House is also pushing for a payroll tax cut in the next relief bill. Here's some news that perhaps will make you feel less like nothing matters. The Atlantic Coast Pipeline has been canceled. You might recall us talking about the natural gas pipeline like three weeks ago. The companies behind it, Dominion Energy and Duke Energy, had won a case before the Supreme Court, 7-2. Stephen Breyer and the notorious RBG voted with the five conservative justices. The ACP was slated to sneak from West Virginia across Virginia, through the Appalachian Trail, and into North Carolina, but it won't anymore. Cancel culture has claimed yet another victim. Dominion Energy and Duke Energy announced yesterday they were stopping the project. They cited recent decisions from a federal judge in Montana and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The firm said, quote, litigation risk, among other contributing execution risks, make the project too uncertain to justify investing more shareholder capital. Meanwhile, Secretary of Energy Dan Brouillette 
reacted with a statement of his own blaming, quote, the well-funded obstructionist environmental lobby. Brave of him to stand up for that scrappy underdog we all know and love, the energy industry. Unmentioned by the secretary and the two companies, the fact that we're in a recession. According to Trading Economics, natural gas prices fell like 50% between November and late June, making projects like the Atlantic Coast Pipeline less profitable. In related news, making the ACP's death even sweeter, a federal judge has ordered a temporary shutdown of the Dakota Access Pipeline. James Bosberg, a district judge in Washington, said that DAPL must be emptied for an environmental impact assessment to take place. Bosberg had previously ruled that the Trump administration improperly granted an easement for the crude oil pipeline to be built without such an environmental assessment, which is expected to take 13 months. The delay is a huge victory for the indigenous demonstrators who, in 2016, were attacked by cops with chemical weapons and attack dogs when protesting against DAPL. The pipeline was initially supposed to go through Fargo, North Dakota, but after complaints, it was rerouted to go through the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation, in 2017, it became operational. Standing Rock Sioux Chair Mike Faith st- said in a statement, quote, This pipeline should never have been built here. We told them that from the beginning. Hell yeah, some good news. Yeah. Finally, an interesting GAO report out on Monday examines what public companies choose to disclose and not disclose in their annual reports to investors. The Securities and Exchange Commission requires public companies to disclose information beyond their books related to environmental, social, and governance issues that could be materially relevant to investors. Environmental, social, and governance, or ESG factors, haven't been thoroughly defined by the SEC, so the disclosure requirements are not universal. So some companies disclose more than others. Some issues lots of companies regularly disclose, while other issues companies shy away from disclosing. For example, GAO found that a majority of the 32 companies reviewed disclosed matters related to climate change planning and risks in their public filings. Also, a majority of companies, also a majority of companies highlighted their efforts to promote diversity and inclusion. However, fewer than half of those companies released specific information about how it prevents and addresses discrimination in the workplace. In other words, look at all this data about minorities we employ but don't ask any further questions about how they're treated. Here are some other ESG factors regularly ignored by a majority of companies, how they use and protect consumer data. Only about a third of companies reviewed provided specific data on that topic. And fewer than a sixth of the companies listed ESG factors that identify operations that could endanger human rights. That's despite the fact that a majority of companies did release information about how they work to protect human rights. Company representatives said that increasing ESG reporting would increase compliance costs, so they're hesitant. The SEC has previously issued guidance on what it considers to be ESG topics that need to be included in annual reports, but officials at the agency admitted to the GAO that ultimately companies are responsible for the disclosures that they provide to investors. GAO submitted its report to the SEC, which concurred with the findings. The SEC said it will continue, quote, ongoing discussions around ESG disclosures among public companies, investors, and policymakers, end quote. My guess is the agency had 
already moved on by lunchtime today. That music means the newscast is over. Time to read some poetry for our new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first one goes out to Wampage. Election season's here. Trump touring the country mad, spreading the virus. Thank you, Wampage. Finally, this is for Jake. It is hot today. It will be hot tomorrow, icing up my pits. Thank you, Jake, and thank you to all the new subscribers over at Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Got a call on the listener rant line. Let's check it out. It's Slater. I wanted to call in with an update on the awful pundit tournament. First of all, Sam, I saw you got your big day's baseball card. Oh, man, I, I love those things. They look so fucking sweet. And um, second of all, I've got to announce the winner of the Awful Pundit regular season. It is over. The top 81 pundits out of the 220 will be making either the 2021 Awful Pundit Tournament or the 2020 Putrid Pundit Invitational, which will begin within the next couple of days. The first round of voting you know, should take place for a week on the Patreon. And we have the bracket ready. And the winner of the awful pundit regular season was Alan Dershowitz. He will be getting the coveted 12 seed in the awful pundit tournament in 2021. And also, the putrid pundit invitational is going to be featuring such bold competitors as Charlotte Clymer and Michael Tracy. So it is absolutely worth subscribing to see those guys duke it out. Um, it's it's going to be something else. So uh, thank you again for, uh, you know, giving me the time and hope you guys are having a great one. You know, stay safe out there. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's still Corona world. Uh, peace out. Peace out. Thanks for that, Slater. And thanks for the Big Dave baseball card. It was a nice little treat after having not having gone to the post office in months to finally go uh, have a bunch of shit mail in there but special envelope from Slater with the Big Dave baseball card he's doing he's doing just he's doing work he's putting the work in over there he compiled 220 <laughs> pundits I didn't even know there's that many pundits out there Slater pretty much has dossiers on all of them and uh, are, are running them against each other and uh, seeing the magic that happens in the brackets. Yeah, it's, a, it's an intricate web of uh, awful punditry. It is. Subscribe on uh, Patreon to, uh, to Slater's awful pundit tournament. All right, that is, uh, that's the show. Thanks for listening and thanks for subscribing to all the subscribers out there. We appreciate you. We'll be back tomorrow with a brand new newscast. We're here in D.C. so you don't have to be.